You're listening to What's Wrong With This Picture? Freaky Films and Why We Frickin' Love Them. Hi, I'm Lindsay McCullough. And I'm Gary Mulholland. And in each episode of What's Wrong With This Picture, we'll be looking at a movie we think is weird and wonderful. We sometimes do include the endings where it's key to what the film is, so please be prepared for that. So anyway, buckle up and join us on a journey to dangerous cities, suburbia and other fantasy worlds. It's going to be a wild ride. In this episode, we are looking at Freaks from 1932, directed by Todd Browning. It stars Harry Earls as Hans, Daisy Earls as Frida, Olga Baklanova as Cleopatra, Henry Victor as Hercules and Wallace Ford as Frozo the Clown. The film is set in a circus and in addition to the cast uh, I've named, it has a full cast of sideshow performers, all disabled people. These include Daisy and Violet Hilton, who are conjoined twins, Prince Randian, known, uh, known as the Living Torso, who is a limbless man, Johnny Eck, who plays the half-boy, uh, who moves around on his arms and has uh, the top half of his torso, and various other disabled actors and performers. The bulk of the cast are disabled people. Okay, so in a carnival sideshow in France, a man is about to show the paying audience something in a box. Before he shows them, he tells them the story of how this something came about. We flash back to the sideshow's recent past and the tale of a beautiful and scheming trapeze artist called Cleopatra who learns that little person Hans is due to inherit a fortune. She seduces him away from his true love Frida and marries him. But she's actually having an affair with strongman Hercules and they plan to poison Hans so that Cleopatra inherits the money to keep them both in lifelong luxury. The pair humiliate Hans in front of the assembled sideshow performers at their wedding party and Hans has already drunk some of the poison. But the freaks are onto the pair's evil plan. <laughs> so, Lindsay, I can't believe I'm even asking this question, <laughs> but what's wrong? With this picture? I think it's not necessarily wrong, but it's very unusual that this is a cast, as I said, mostly made up of of disabled people. And the world that it presents is very much where the disabled people are the ones that are at home. It's Mm. their world. So versus what I assume to be uh, the kind of the, the reality for many disabled people these days, where they are made to feel out of place in a world that doesn't meet their needs. In this world, uh, it's the freaks, which is a term that, that that's used within the yep. film. Um, it's the sideshow performers who are at home. It's their world. And it's the able-bodied, tall people who are the outsiders in this yep. world. So that includes Cleopatra and uh, Hercules and Frozo and his love, uh, Venus. Venus. Yeah. So uh, I will talk about disability representation in films a bit later on. But I think just to see this world where... It's kind of inversed. It's it's flipped. Mm. And one of the famous lines from the film, which we will talk about, I'm yeah. sure at length, is is one of us. Yeah. And I think this question, this this film begs the question: What does it mean to be one of us? Yeah. What does it mean to be in that group or in this group? And this film kind of shows us that in in all its gory detail. Yeah, I, that that's spot on. I think. It's a very notorious and controversial film, and 90 years later, it is still notorious and controversial. There aren't too many films where it was too strong for audiences uh, to take in 1932, and 90 years 
of learning and evolution and becoming more enlightened has made it even less likely to be made yeah. in 2022 than yeah. it would be in 1932. It's for 50% of people who see this film, it is an extraordinary evocation of the life of people who are never shown in films. Yeah. For the other 50% of people, it's an exploitation film and disgraceful and outrageous. Yeah. And both people are right. Yeah, absolutely. And both people are wrong. And one of the fantastic things about Freaks is it's there's nobody who ever sits and watch Freaks who doesn't end up having a conversation about it. Yeah. It's because it really does put you in the place of thinking, am I right to be watching this? Or am I wrong to be watching this? Yeah. Is it a voyeuristic experience or is it one of the most enlightened films ever made? Well, I, I guess I, I veer on the, the side of it's an enlightened film. You know, it comes from Todd Browning's own experience in the circus. And we see all these performers and these were superstars in real life. You know, mm. the, the Violet and, and Daisy Hilton, these were well-known. These were well-known performers and, and not just them, but, but many others. Um, and so we're, we're seeing these people, but we're seeing them as people. Yeah. So although they're all performers, we don't see them performing no. in the circus. So we don't see what their acts are in, in, in inverted commas. We see them, we see the bearded lady giving birth. Yeah. And she's given birth to a girl, which Frozo says, hmm, and she'll have a beard. So yeah. they're, very, they're very excited <laughs> about that. We see an armless uh, woman feeding herself with her with her feet. We, we're seeing these people kind of behind the scenes. We're seeing Violet and Daisy Hilton, who are the, the, mm. the conjoined twins, the, the source of most of the humour, I guess, yeah. in the film. And they're dating and they're getting married. Absolutely. Um, and so it's it's for me it's like yeah this is a disabled cast but it's a disabled cast of people and I fully understand that yeah there is a certain voyeuristic pleasure that the camera takes mm. yeah. in say watching uh, the 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 limbless man the, the living torso yeah move around Prince Randy and yeah Prince Randy and move around but nonetheless we see him kind of as a person his character to be fair is probably less fleshed out than than, yeah. than some of the others yeah absolutely um but we do see him kind of living his life with his impairments and how he manages to kind of live his life outside of that yeah definitely it it's um uh, just to sort of point out um if you if some of this sounds familiar but you've never seen it um uh, perhaps you uh, are a ramones fan who um knows their song pinhead um, and um, the microcephalic uh, characters in this film are kind of called Pinhead, rightly or wrongly. Um, and the Ramones made a song called Pinhead, and on stage they would bring on a sign that said Gabba Gabba Hey, which is a mutation of a chant in the film um, at the wedding scene, which the wedding party scene, um, I think, is one of the most extraordinary, disturbing uncomfortable and joyful yeah. kind of things in cinema because on the one hand, um, you're seeing a little person being humiliated and it's awful. On the other hand, you are seeing this whole milieu of sideshow performers being living their lives, yeah. being who they are being, um, uh, something you would not see very often in cinema. Um, and at all still to this day um, and it's 
And the Ramones took the scene where uh, basically they say, uh, I think it's um, Google, gobble, Google, gobble, one of us, we accept you, one of us, yeah. or something and very as, similar so to that. Just as background to that, this is, their, this is their attempt to say to Cleopatra, as an able-bodied person, yeah. she's marrying into the circus of freaks. And whenever yeah. I use it, the, the term freaks, I, I use it in, in inverted commas, that is the term that's used in the film. Um, so she is, they, they are saying to her, drink from this loving cup that everyone has drunk from, everyone around the table has drunk from, drink from this loving cup and you will become one of us. Yeah, and absolutely. And her reaction to that is anger, horror. She does not want to be accepted into the gang of freaks. And this is when she and the strongman Hercules uh, turn on Hans in front of everyone and humiliate him. And Hans um, essentially is, yes, he's been conned, but he's not a dumb character. He understands immediately when they start to treat him like this, what has happened here. Um, So it's kind of... The, the fact that it's a soap opera in a lot of ways, because that's the central plot that we've given you. But as Lindsay says, there are all these yeah. little subplots that weave in and out about people falling in love. Yeah. And this is people falling in love who are different. Yeah. And they are falling in love with each other. Or in the case of the Siamese sisters, they uh, are falling in love with guys. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, um, and there's this light, cute running joke of, you know, like these two blokes turning up and one, you know, them being introduced to each other and saying, oh, you'll have to come and visit us sometime after the wedding. (laughs) You know, it's kind of, it's a simple gag. Uh, It works. Um, And kind of, and therefore, from my my perspective, um, it's not laughing at uh, disability. It's laughing with it. And um, it's, it's, Interesting. Yeah, I, I think it's. I think it's. I think it's saying. I can't remember if I said this uh, earlier, but the the notion of Cleopatra becoming one of us. The whole mm. film is about what does it mean to be one of us. To be one of mm. us, and uh, the, you know the humour for for Violet and, and Daisy Hilton, the uh, conjoined twins. The, the humour is very much. So, for instance. Uh, Violet, I think, is kissed by her beau. Yeah. But it's Daisy who feels the thrill. Of yeah, that kiss. yes, that's a beautiful little visual. Yeah, moment. Yeah, um, and they they were quite incredible people in in real life. Can I take a, yeah. a moment to, to talk it. about them? Go they for were it. born in Brighton. Yep, really. In I did not know yeah. that. Yeah, okay. born in born in Brighton. In fact, just up near uh, Elm Grove, not far from where we are today. And they they've just had this year they've had a blue plaque put on their on their house. Oh Excuse wow! Me. Okay. Um. They were uh, sold by their mother, so they were in a, a single single parent household. They were sold by their mother into a family in America, who exploited them for years, uh, kind of indentured them, really put them on the stage, mm. um, made them earn their living. Mm. Just they were a, they were a product, uh, unfortunately, for the family that that they were in, and this went on for many years. In the course of their vaudeville kind of journey, uh, they met Houdini, who became a great friend and supporter of theirs. <laughs> wow. I know. Wow. Um, and he helped them emancipate themselves from, from this family. He also gave them kind of mind exercises to do because they needed time apart from each other. They couldn't have it. They were joined at the hip. They were quite right. literally joined, joined out at the, the hip. hip. Yeah. Um, so he gave them mind exercises to do that, wow. so that they could retreat to a place of privacy, even though they were with their wow. sister. Wow. And I kind of read somewhere that um, at some point, it was a few years after 
um, the Emancipation and Freaks, um, they became more and more celebrities because they did they they turned up with this uh, publicity stunt that they actually did want to get married, yeah, um, and they were you know looking for a state in America that would legally marry them, yeah, and were getting turned down. Um, Many people believe it was all a publicity stunt, uh, even though there was a protest element to it. Um, but this this became sort of a, a running news story that made national news, and they started to become sort of much loved characters. Who yeah. people started to say, "Well, why shouldn't they get married?" Yeah, to sort yeah. of thing. So it it's uh, there, another interesting character was Prince Randian. Um, it really is. I mean, there are so many extraordinary images in, in yeah. Freaks. They yeah. really are. But I, I do think that possibly Prince Randian is the most extraordinary, the most jaw-dropping, that this is somebody without limbs who moves around the floor and who does things like lights his own cigarettes uh, using his tongue and his lips. Um, it's extraordinary to watch yeah, him. Yeah. Um, he um, was one of the great uh, beneficiaries of Freaks. Um, he had a long career uh, as a performer. Um, he had a son. Uh, can you believe? Yeah. Yes, he had a son. Uh, when his son grew up enough, um, he became his assistant and manager and travelled around with him. And um, Prince Randian lived on to the ripe old age of 63. Um, he um, basically w- was performing in New York at Times Square um, he came, went into the dressing room, and uh, a couple of hours later, he died. Um, he, in that that life, he spent no time in a care home. Yeah. No time in yeah. any form of institution, um, performing and the entertainment world and show business and people's voyeurism, call it what yeah. you like, had given him the chance to live a completely independent life on his own terms. Yeah. Um, which is extraordinary. Um, a contrast, uh, and you may have to remind me of the actress's name, Lindsay, mm. if I can't, but can't remember. But um, the woman who played the bearded lady—I don't know her name actually. Sorry. Okay, she—that that was a completely opposite um, impact of Freaks. Um, she came out of that film feeling that she'd been exploited and hadn't quite understood what she'd been asked, what she was asked to do. She was a radical feminist, and. Um, the the experience of being in freaks made her very bitter and um she 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 lived a, a rather unhappy life where everybody who you know who mentioned freaks to her you know was was given short shrift mm. um and somewhere in the middle is the maker of this film Todd Browning yeah um Todd Browning was uh, one of the most successful hollywood directors of the late talking uh, the late silent era um his films with lon chaney senior uh, essentially were, along with James Wales' Frankenstein, the films that invented what we now know as yeah. horror movies, the entire horror genre. They were massively successful. And then, of course, he made Dracula with Bela Lugosi and established Dracula and vampires in general as the handsome, seductive archetype as opposed to the Nosferatu-type yeah, yeah. monster. Um, Freaks was his follow-up film to Dracula and it was the astonishing success of Dracula that gave him the freedom to have a go at Freaks and Freaks bombed. Um, uh, It was shown to test preview audiences who were horrified at what they saw and gave such bad feedback that the producer, the great producer Irving Tholborg, 
um, took it upon himself to cut um, 32 minutes, I think it was, of scenes out of Freaks. Yeah. It ended up a 64-minute film. Um, he This was released. It did not help. Whatever he cut yeah. out, nobody knows what he cut out because it really was thrown away. Um, the, yeah. It's not lying in any vault somewhere waiting for a director's cut. It's gone. Um, and it basically got such a terrible critical reception that hardly anyone went to see it. Um, the, the old sort of gag about Hollywood is um, Hollywood will forgive you any, anything except losing money. Yeah. Um, Todd Browning had made a film that had lost money. Um, he made a couple more films um, which, you know, he basically struggled anyway with talking movies. He didn't understand dialogue and the skills of actors talking in the same way as he's understood silent cinema. So by the end of the 1930s, he'd retired. Um, and that was the end of Todd Browning's film career. Um, on the one hand, he retired a very wealthy man. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, um, this man, who was one of the most influential film directors who ever lived, never gave an interview to anyone about his career ah. before he died. Wow. Not one. Wow. As if he was, as if he had completely rejected yeah. everything. So one looks at that and one wonders just how bitter he was about yeah. how he was treated after Freaks. Yeah. Um, as, as there's a really good documentary with um, with the, uh, the DVD version that I have, and and basically one of the the guys on it says, you know, he rolled the dice on Freaks yeah. and he lost. Yeah. Uh, and that was the end for him. Yeah. And um, so Freaks had this incredibly powerful impact on the people who yeah. appeared in it and made it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I was going to say something there about Todd Running. But I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> I can't remember. So okay. I will I will I will come back to it. Shall I do a little bit more plot? Yes, please do. So, um... I know what oh, I was going yeah, to say. Go on, Sorry, go on. do you mind? Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, it just, just about... It doesn't surprise me that he was more at home in silent film because, mm. I mean, we haven't really mentioned that a lot of the acting is slightly ropey. I would say a lot of the dialogue is slightly ropey. It's, it's very much a film of its time, but some people are just bad no matter what year it is, and that includes Frida and that includes uh, um, Cleopatra. They're, yes. They're both pretty bad in it. But... The images in this film, and this is what makes it right, the images in this film are amazing. Exactly. And I think a lot of the dialogue could have been intertitles, no problem. Yeah, it could have been totally. a silent film and it wouldn't have lost very much. We would have lost some of Frozo the Clown's jokes again. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's think a massive loss. It's no. a, not a ma massive loss. The images in this film are astounding and they only get better towards the end. Yeah, uh, so let's, uh, yeah, let's uh, mention... Not quite the very end. In order to save hands, the sideshow performers transform themselves into an avenging army. They corner Cleopatra and Hercules, and the backstory ends. We are back to the present day. We see the something in the box. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Um, we, we made the decision, took the decision yeah. on this one. The ending, there's a there's an added on coda about yeah. Hans and Frida's romance. Ignore it. It goes nowhere. Yeah. It's not the end. It spoils the end. Yeah. The real end is we see the revenge that's been taken on Cleopatra and we took the decision to yeah. not really describe that in any detail. Yeah. See it. 
it's it's visual. We don't want to spoil the impact of that. Absolutely. And while we're on the visuals, uh, and I totally agree with you, you know, people forget, I think, now that... Charlie Chaplin kept making silent films for a while um, when the talking, and these were amongst his best films. And maybe, you know, if Todd Browning had, you know, had the courage and just gone with a a silent movie here, it might have been even greater. But the most, I think, enduring scene, it's the one that you might see, if you watch a film clip program and it mentions freaks, it might be what you see, is um, the sideshow performers prowling, after Cleopatra and Hercules in the yeah. dark. In the rain. In the rain, underneath all of these kind of carts and the wheels of the, the vehicles, um, just essentially crawling to the camera yeah, uh, with weapons in their teeth and et cetera, et cetera. And it is one of the most chilling, frightening, uh, genuinely, uh, yeah, just one of the scariest images yeah. ever put on and uh, it, it's you know it, it's a testament the final testament to Todd Browning's genius as a director yeah I, I would I would concur and we don't we don't see what happens to uh, Hercules he gets no. he gets stabbed and then he gets kind of various <coughs> of the of the of the performers uh, kind of attack him mm. in apparently in the book or in the initial script uh, they castrated him and wow. one of the codas that that was meant to have been in the film is that we see him kind of singing in a castrati wow, kind of voice. scary stuff. Yeah. Oh, maybe they should have gone for yeah, that. Yeah. Maybe that's one of the things that Irving Thalberg put on yeah, the, uh, the, yeah. the cutting room floor. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, just, uh, I guess, again, about this whole thing of, of the controversy and notoriety of this movie. Um, for around 30 years, uh, Freaks was banned around the world, including the UK. Uh, it was rediscovered in the early 1960s by a new generation of counterculture cineasts on the art house circuit. Uh, it was then shown at the Venice Film Festival in 1962 and gra- gradually built a cult following um, in sort of like late night screenings, etc. until the Ramones kind of made their record and talked about it in interviews and um, it became more well known. Um, there was something... it it. I was thinking sort of about the fact that one of the one of the lines um, that sort of summed up the late 1960s counterculture in terms of music um, was uh, a Jimi Hendrix song which um, included the line um, I'm going to wave my freak flag high <laughs> and um, I don't think that was a reference to the Todd Browning film but what I do think is is that a film called Freaks which was about outsiders uh, which was um, refusing to take normalcy as normal, Yeah, was perfect for a group of young people who were questioning everything in the wake of assassinations, Vietnam, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know. Drugs. Drugs, <laughs> capitalism. You know, they, they, you know it, it, it was perfect for the late night film circuit as a, a kind of rallying cry yeah. for the counterculture, yeah. um, which lasted certainly through to punk. And now that film, now Freaks is finally given the respect it yeah. des- is deserved as a masterpiece. Yeah. But still, you may watch this film and you may feel insulted by it. And that's okay. It's, it's not everyone's cup of tea. And guess what? 
some great films are not everyone's cup of tea, oh, and maybe. that's what's good about them. Exactly. Maybe that's what makes them. That's what makes them great. There's there's a bit of dialogue uh, that one of the, the circus women says, and she says, "This this is when Cleopatra is just kind of playing up to hands before they get married." Cleopatra isn't one of us. We're just filthy things to her, mm. which is an immensely strong, mm. strong line. But unfortunately, the same was true at the MGM studios. This was an MGM film. This was yeah. the home of yeah. Gone with the Wind yeah. and yep. uh, The Wizard of Oz. These glossy musicals. Yep. This was where this, this was where this made. And unfortunately, the same, the same, um, the same uh, feelings were, were felt at, at, at the MGM studios. So <laughs> the stars were so upset at the thought of being with the, the, the circus performers. I mean, outside yeah. outside of the little people, because little people were already kind of... Um, yeah, they'd done, I, they'd done some movies. Yeah, Hans, uh, Hans in this was in The Wizard of Oz. He's one of the main yes, munchkins. he's one of the munchkins. One of the three munchkins that, that kind of gets to do a lot of the um, talking. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the film company couldn't be on the studio lot or in the canteen. And they had to film in a separate tent because they'd be upsetting the likes of, I guess, I don't know who's who's there at that time, Clark Gable or Myrna Loy or whatever. All, all these people would have been very, very upset by the sight of this. Um, and I guess maybe that brings us on to kind of disability representation in, in films more general. Mm, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so you might be saying, well, how do how do disabled people feel about freaks? Well, of course, it varies because they're not a homogenous group. Um, I've done some reading on this. I'm not a disabled person myself. Uh, I don't really feel qualified to kind of talk on behalf of that group. And I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't want to talk on behalf of that group anyway. Uh, as I say, it's not mm. a homogenous yep. group. Yep. Some, some people kind of rate it, as you said, Gary. Some people don't see it yep. as very exploitative. But it is rare among films for having a, a full disabled cast, even to this day. So outside of documentaries, can yeah. you think of another film no. ever that's had no. a, a majority d- disability cast? I was looking at that. There's there's one uh, relatively recently, I think in 2020 or something, called Sound of Metal, ah. which is uh, Riz Ahmed as a drummer who's going deaf. Yeah, I of course, Sound of Metal, that. yeah. I haven't seen that. But apparently the, the deaf people he interact with, most of the cast is deaf. Right, um, OK. Obviously, he's, he's not a deaf actor. Um, oh, I feel bad for not seeing Sound of Metal now. Oh, well, we go. can. We still can. Yeah, we can still can. Yeah. There's still, there's yeah, still yeah. time. Um, so you might, we might consider kind of keynote dis- dis- disabled performer performances in things like Children of a Lesser God or Coda, another recent mm-hmm. film, yeah. Child of Deaf Adults. Yeah. Uh, Harold Russell, I know in one of our favourite films, The Best Years of Our Lives, yeah. which is about returning veterans after the Second World War. And that stars major movie stars, but also a real-life amputee, a real-life amputee ex-soldier veteran who hadn't acted before called Harold Russell. And his performance is... Astonishing in yeah. a, in, a, in an yeah, in astonishing that context, film. Really good. I guess on TV, you know, we might look to things like Line of Duty to see uh, Lennon disabled actor Tommy Jessup or R.J. Mitta in Breaking Bad who has cerebral palsy. Nonetheless, these are these are characters. These are disabled characters finally being played by disabled people. Yes, mercifully. Yeah. Uh, because on the other hand, uh, able-bodied people playing disabled people is very prevalent. Yes. Um, and as kind of Kate Winslet says on on that extras that you know if you play a mental you get an award for it, you get an Oscar for it <laughs> yeah and by 2017 <laughs> over 50 Oscar nominations had been given to people playing disabled people yeah people like Audrey Hepburn Sean Penn Dustin Hoffman Al Pacino yeah Tom Hanks Cliff Robertson yeah and Charlie yeah yeah it it, it it's a disgrace 
quite frankly. And, you know, it's 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 not any different to if there'd been 50 nominated actors that, you know, white people playing in blackface. Yeah. Frankly, yeah, um, it, it's it's no better. Yeah. Um, interestingly, you I've got a pick up because you mentioned uh, of all people, Myrna Loy, um, the original Cleopatra who was cast to play uh, Cleopatra mm. was Myrna Loy, right? Really, a pre superstardom Myrna Loy, and uh, following on again from the the thing about so many people on the MGM lot being horrified, she begged, she begged to be let out of the job. Really, she begged. Yeah, and they finally relented. Um, uh, you know, uh, it's uh, there was a at one point Gene Harlow was signed to play Venus. Right. Don't know what happened then. Nobody's got any record of what happened, but mysteriously, she didn't turn up yeah, in the cast yeah, either. Yeah. Um, I think you know th- there was a there was an element in that film that people were running scared of it. Yeah. And um, and it was almost doomed from the beginning. And the fact that Todd Browning went right ahead, uh, and to be fair, Irving Thalberg, the producer as well. Um, they went ahead and they did it and they didn't back down and they didn't back out yeah. and they didn't bin it. And now we have something very, very precious on Sally Lloyd and um, forever. And um, good luck to them. Yeah, absolutely. It is an, an astonishing film. It, it kind of one scene never forgotten I've, I've seen it several times and each time I'm kind of horrified by the end there's just something in it the, the, the images the, the final scene before the coda yeah. where you see what's what's in that box yeah uh, I never get over you never get over that no, you that, never get over it this, I can this, tell you people you won't yeah. get over it if you haven't seen it this, this film is 90 years old and it's still a punch to the guts absolutely so uh, having said that, um, uh, I, 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 I'm not going to go for anything um, crazy in terms of how we're marking this. Mm. I'm just going to ask you, Lindsay, uh, what do you think out of 10 for quality and what do you think out of 10 for weirdness? I think in terms of quality, the things that your eyes will see in this film and the way it's filmed and the the, the the subject matter and the fact that these are kind of real people with, with real lives and it's still that's still unusual 90 years later yep. um, it, it makes makes this a high scorer for me the the acting some of it is is slightly it's of its time as you said <laughs> but it's an astonishing achievement and I'm giving it 9 for quality how can it be other than a 10, I think, for weirdness for me? Yep, um, I give it 8 for quality and 10 for weird. It, 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 is, it is, I think, you know, it's probably fair to say at this point, there, it's when we thought of this podcast, um, yeah. the film that we were yeah. really, really most inspired to do it by was this film. Yeah. It was Freaks. Um, it is the keynote uh, weird film that America certainly has ever made and, um, and so brave and so unique, and no one will ever make a film like it ever again. Absolutely. So watch it. We accept you. You're one of us. (laughs) Till next time. Till next time. What's Wrong With This Picture is brought to you by Lindsay McCulloch and Gary Mulholland and is recorded by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg. Music composed and performed by Russ Keffert. (laughs) 